Hey there, and thanks for tuning in to a message from New King Church. We're a church located in South Burlington, Vermont, and our prayer is that this resource would help you find and follow Jesus. If you want to know more about our church and the ministries we have, check us out at newkingchurch.com. Five. When I'm finished reading, I will say, this is the word of the Lord, and you can respond, thanks be to God. Genesis 37, verse 2. These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was pasturing the flock with his brothers. He was a boy with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he was the son of his old age, and he made him a robe of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his other brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. Now Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, Hear this dream that I have dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright, and behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. His brothers said to him, Are you indeed to reign over us? Or are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Then he dreamed another dream and told it to his brothers and said, Behold, I have dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun, the moon, and eleven stars were bowing down to me. But when he told it to his father and to his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him. But his father kept the saying in mind. Verse 18. They saw him from afar, and before he came near to them, they conspired against him to kill him. They said to one another, Here comes this dreamer. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Then he will say that a, then we will say that a fierce animal has devoured him, and we will see what will become of his dreams. But when Reuben heard it, he rescued him out of their hands, saying, Let us not take his life. And Reuben said to them, Shed no blood, throw him into this pit here in the wilderness, but do not lay a hand on him, that he might rescue him out of their hand to restore him to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the robe of many colors that he wore, and they took him and threw him into a pit. The pit was empty, there was no water in it, and they sat down to eat. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everybody. Great to have you here. My name is Eric. I'm one of the pastors here at New King. So you made it today in the storm, right? So every time, my wife and I watch the news, we're old, right? And we look at the weather, and every time this week that it would come on, the path of destruction was wider. First, it was 25 million in the path of destruction. Then there was 30 million people in the path of destruction. Then 35 million. And so this morning when I went out to go to the car, uh, Miss Annette tied a rope around me to feed me out so I wouldn't get lost in the snow. And I'm not kidding you. I bet you we had maybe, I bet it topped two and a half inches. I mean, it was like devastation. You can't even imagine. But here we are, and thanks for coming. So uh, we're going to get into this new section in Genesis. Uh, if you've been around here at New King for a while, you'll know that we uh, preach through books of the Bible. We had a little hiatus for a bit for, for the Christmas season, for our Advent. And uh, now um, we're going to get back to Genesis. And what I hope to do this morning with you is three things. One, give you an overview of 
of where you are. Because we're getting back to Genesis. Let's just get our footing, make sure we know where we are. So a little overview of where we are. And then a little exposition going through this chapter, talking about the characters and the events that happen. And then at the end, I'm going to give you four takeaways. Uh, takeaways that for, for the people back then. And more importantly, really, takeaways for us here in 2024. That's the hope. That's the plan. Okay? So let's pray together, and then we can uh, jump in. Uh, Father God, uh, help me this morning to, uh, to preach this, this chapter, to uh, make it real so that people would see that this was a real family with real problems and that God was working. And Father, help me as I preach to be clear, to be succinct, Father. And I pray for those that are here that they will see how God works in a new way. And that they will see more of Jesus from this ancient chapter. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Okay. If you read scholarly works about Genesis, the Bible scholars will tell you that if you break Genesis up, there's three main parts. It's a 50-chapter story, but there's three main parts. And so just to ground us, to get us back, I'll just give you a quick overview of each of those. Uh, Part number one is called the primordial history. And that's chapters 1 through 11, primordial history. starts with creation, and then the fall, and then sin and violence rise higher and higher until God comes in with the flood and kind of wipes everybody out. And then it ends in chapter 11 with the Tower of Babel. And so one of the questions we have to step back and ask is, in that first section, the primordial history, how did God work with people? How did he work? And the answer is, he worked directly. We see God coming down into the garden walking in the cool of the garden in the morning to come and be with Adam and Eve. And it ends with the Tower of Babel. What does God do? He comes down to see the work that they did. So in this first section, God works directly. Make sense? You with me and all that? Yeah. Okay, next section is a big section. It's uh, chapters 12 through 36. And it's the story of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And God gives these wonderful, great, promises to this man Abraham and if you are here the promises were about his seed remember that and about the land right you're gonna you're gonna have this unbelievable family you're gonna have this piece of land and thirdly don't forget this I am gonna make you what a channel of blessing for the nations So there was a purpose to it. It wasn't just to enrich them or or make them wealthy landholders. I'm going to make you a channel of blessing. And there's a fourth promise that said, from you is going to come a king. So those four things. Well, how did God deal with the people in that big section from Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, from um, chapter 12 to, 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 to 36? It tended to be through visions. God would appear in visions and tell them things. At one point, Jacob even wrestles with God. So God dealt through visions. So now we come to the last part. 
the story primarily of Joseph. And it's the longest part, it's the longest single story in all of Genesis. And so that should catch our attention. Why is God dragging this story out? What is he trying to show us from this long story? And it's about Jacob, Jacob's children, about Joseph, about his 11 brothers. And the question is, how does God deal with the people in this section? And the answer is, through providence. And that's the title of our sermon series. In this section, the story of Joseph, it's about God's providence. Now, we have to define that. So, so what I want to do next is I want to tell you what providence means. So divine providence is the governance, governance of God by which he, with wisdom and love, cares for and directs all things in the universe. It is God being in complete control of all the details, all the circumstances, all the chance relationships in our lives. And the key is, it's God behind the scenes. We don't tend to see it until when? After the fact. It's after the fact. We look back and we say, I met that person at the, at the supermarket. And now we have a relationship. And now they're coming to New King. And now they're hearing the gospel. Well, God arranged that. My friend Travis, who got saved about six weeks ago, I can't tell you how many times in our call. We talk every day, right? And, and it's so great to, to help him understand what he's now in the middle of as a Christian. So many times he's like, yeah, Eric, I'm learning that these things don't happen by chance. And God was using this and this and this and this and this. That's how providence works. It's God in the details working out his will for us. And one Bible scholar, I thought this was helpful. He says providence is made up of four parts. It's, um, it's upholding, directing, disposing, and governing. So what does that mean? Upholding. He upholds the world by his power. Every atom, every molecule, every electron is held in place by the power of God. We don't see it, but that's what's happening. He holds it. So he's upholding all things. He's directing the detailed events of human history. He's disposing circumstances to turn out a certain way. Remember with Pharaoh. At one point, Pharaoh hardens his heart. Another time, God hardens his heart. He's, he's directing, he's disposing things so that his will is worked out. And finally, he's governing. Every person in charge is put there by God for a purpose and a reason. That's what all the scripture teaches, and we have to today understand that. So those four things have to do with, with providence. Upholding, directing, disposing, governing. The details. God is in the details, working behind the scenes. Nothing is by chance. And we see it often after the fact. Okay. So how does this big section open? It opens with two stories about two brothers. Most people miss that. It's all about Joseph. Well, actually, his brother 
Judah shows up in chapter 38. 38 is all about Judah. And Judah shows up again and again at key times in the story of Joseph. And I counsel you, as we go through, as you're reading this story, 37 to 50, big section, keep your eye out for Judah and see when he pops up. It's fascinating. So what's the story of Joseph? Big picture, and many of you know this. I'm not giving away any big secrets here. He's a spoiled little brat brother. His brothers hate him. They throw him in a pit. He's sent as a slave to Egypt. He puts in place an unbelievably wise plan to feed the people during a famine. And not only is his family saved, but Egypt is saved. And the surrounding nations are saved. So think about God's promise to be a blessing to the nation. Oh, yeah, that's kind of in this story too, yeah. Right? And then the next chapter, right? 38, it's a horrible chapter. (laughs) It's really rotten, and it's about tremendous sinfulness in the life of his brother Judah. But in the end, God somehow, through chance maybe, (laughs) right? From this man and his sin will come a king. Amazing. So that's how it begins. Joseph will turn out to be the savior of the world, and Judah will be the ruler of the world. And you know, because you know your Bibles, that they both come together in another man whose name begins with J, yeah? We know the end story. So it all points to that. Okay, so, so oh, one more thing. Both Christians and non-Christians all say that this story is a literary masterpiece. The details, the way it comes together, the things that are hinted at and then resolved, it's a literary masterpiece. Back in the 60s, when only me and Marcel were alive. Um, there was a fellow, uh, Andrew Lloyd Webber, who uh, wrote an unbelievable, unbelievable musical. It's really what put his name uh, in lights. It was called Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. All about this story, very accurately depicting this story, because it's amazing. So with that, I encourage you to be amazed as we go through it over the next few weeks. So let's jump into the exposition part. I'm going to quickly go through the action, what's happening, point out a couple little things here and there. Verse 2, these are the generations of Jacob. Now the term, these are the generations, is one word in the Hebrew, uh, toledoth, and that word occurs ten times in Genesis. And so the Jews say, oh, Genesis is divided into ten books. These are the generations of so-and-so, meaning here's what happens to their offspring. So this is the tenth book. And this is significant because if you remember back in the old days when you were young, when we first started Genesis, 
Remember Genesis chapter 1? We had the story of creation. Ten times God said, and let there be. The Jews say those were the ten words. That was the ten words of creation. Now we have the ten stories. This is a tenth story. Guess what happens in Exodus? God comes down and gives Moses what? Ten commandments. So interesting. It's interesting. These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph being 17 years old. Now here's the interesting literary thing about this section. Joseph lived with his father for 17 years. You go to the end and it says Joseph lived in Egypt for 17 years. So again, I counsel you, look at some of these details. These are bookends, and you'll see how it all comes to fruition as these details come out. It's really interesting, fascinating to me. So uh, it says he was a boy. He was a boy with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpha. Why did it say that? Was it talking about his gender? No. He acted like a kid. <laughs> he acted like a little boy. He was 17 for crying out loud. He should have been working a man's job, but he wasn't. He was acting like a little kid. That's why it says that. He was a boy. And, and then what does it say? Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. Bad report. Whenever that Hebrew term is used, it means a lie. So we learn immediately, Joseph was acting like a little kid. One, you with me? He was a tattletale. He was a liar. <laughs> How many people have had a little brother? <laughs> he, yes, <laughs> he was two of them. <laughs> he was the most annoying version of a little brother you can imagine, Right? This is how he's portrayed. Listen, when my first son was born, I named him Joseph. I had just read a, a commentary called Joseph, Revealer of Dreams, Savior of the World. I couldn't get over it. I saw him uh, at Christmas time, and I said, yeah, I'm going back through, and Joseph was kind of a rat. He says, yeah, that was me too, right? <laughs> so, so Joseph, okay, he's a, he's a rotten little brother, and to make it worse, verse 3, now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his sons because he was the son of his old age. Oh my word, did, did, did Jacob not learn anything? So when it says Israel, that's the new name for Jacob, right? Don't get confused by that, the new name. And he loved him more. Didn't he learn from his father that parental favoritism is a recipe for disaster? No, not only does he not learn, but as the generations go, it gets worse. And so he favors this kid. He wasn't the youngest. He was the son of, of Rachel. Um, and, 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 you know, just by the way, uh, you, just very basic, you know that Jacob had 12 sons. Six by Leah, the first wife, two by Rachel, two by Leah's servant, and two by Rachel's servant. They make up 12. Those are the 12 tribes of Israel. So when you read later about the 12 tribes, this is the genesis of it. This is the beginning of it, yeah? So, okay, just so you're not confused. So he loved him, and he made him a robe of many colors. When I get my kids together, it's like, yeah, you love the younger one. You gave him this and that. They always say that. A robe of many colors. If you look in the, at the, in the margin, it says maybe a robe with long sleeves. The point was this. It was something special that sort of showed a royalty 
that, that Joseph got from his father, and then he wore around, paraded around in front of his brothers, and man, they hated it. And if you were wearing such a robe, you probably didn't shovel much uh, sheep manure or goat manure. You were like, no, I, I've got my robe on. I can't, I can't do that. That's why he was acting like a boy, because he wasn't doing the work of a man. So what an annoying little jerk. And he wears the robe everywhere. Right? He doesn't just wait for you know, a certain time. He wears it all the time. <laughs> what a kid. Okay. But when his father, verse 4, what's the result? When his father saw that his brothers saw that his father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him. And they couldn't speak a good word to him. They hated him. Two words in this section that come out more than any other words. Brothers and hate. They hated him. They couldn't speak. They couldn't say a single good thing to him, right? They despise this guy. Verse 6, now Joseph had a dream. Now we come to the dream section. Two dreams. God's never mentioned. doesn't say God gave him a dream. Two dreams. And dreams in this section of Genesis come in pairs. They always come in pairs. So when Joseph is in prison, there's two dreams. When Pharaoh has dreams, he has two dreams. So they come in pairs. Another literary thing here. And the first dream... And what does he do? What does the annoying little brother do? He immediately tells his brother the dream, right? And what word does he say as he describes the dream? Behold. And you all know that when you see behold, it means look, really, just look. And what's he doing? He's parading in front of them with the multicolored robe on, the technicolored dream coat, in their face, and he's trash talking. Look at the dream I got. Right? And what's this first dream? It always says, when they, he told to his brothers, they hated him even more. So it's ratcheted up a notch. He said to them, hear this dream I've dreamed. Behold, we're binding sheaves. My sheaf, behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright. Behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to them. His brothers said, are you going to reign over us? <laughs> you think you're going to take us? Right? They hate him even more because of the dreams, and for his words. For his words. What does that mean? That means the way that he said it. The way he was trash-talking in a way, just like, look at me. Daddy loves me more than the rest of you. He's giving me a coat. I'm not going to get my hands dirty. I've got these dreams. You're going to bow down to me over and over again. They hated him even more. Dream number two. Dream number two. Then he dreamed a dream, verse 9. And told it to his brothers and said, Behold, I've dreamed another. Doesn't learn from the first one. Don't keep it in. Tell them all. Right? Typical little annoying brother getting under your skin. Behold, the sun and the moon, eleven stars bowing down. He tells it to his father and to his brothers. And the old man, Jacob, finally has to rebuke him. It's like, okay, you've gone too far, bud. This is too much. I know you're my favorite. I know I gave you the coat. But are your mother and I really going to bow down to you? Is that really what's going to happen? But it says his brothers were jealous, of course. But his father kept a saying in his mind. You think of Mary. You know, the angel comes and she hears all this stuff and she, she ponders it. So Jacob kind of keeps it in his mind. His brothers hate him. His brothers are jealous, Right? 
This is how this section works. Not anything really that's good for us to model. We don't look at Genesis 37 and says, yeah, I'm going to be like Joseph, or I'm going to be like Jacob, or I'm going to be like any of these guys. It's a disaster. So what happens? Now his brothers went to pasture their father's flock near Shechem, verse 12. Now Shechem is a bad place. Awful, horrible things happened there. Genesis 34 tells a story. The title of it is called The Defiling of Dinah. She's raped. Two of the brothers find out. They go and they violently kill everybody. It's not a happy story. Bad things happened in Shechem. And so the brothers go there, right? That's where they go, to pasture. And um, 13, Israel, again, that's Jacob, said to Joseph, why didn't Joseph go? He was home with daddy with the robe and, you know, all that. Uh, Go, Uh, are not your brothers pasturing the flock at Shechem? And you know what Shechem means, that's not a good place. Why don't you go and see if it's well with your brothers and with the flock and bring me word. You better go check on those guys. We know what happened before at Shechem. So he goes. He goes from the valley of Hebron, comes to Shechem, and a man finds him wandering around. This guy shows up, dude, what are you doing here? You look like you're lost. You're looking for the 7-Eleven? Well, that's over this. And and, uh, Joseph says to him, well, I'm looking for my brothers. And then the man says, well, just by chance, I happened to overhear some brothers talking a while ago, a couple days ago maybe, who knows. And they happened to mention, and I happened to overhear, they're going to Dothan. By chance. And so old Joe says, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll head over there. So he does, right? This is how this is all unfolding. So he heads, let's go down to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers, and he found them at Dothan. And then, verse 18. Oh boy, they saw him from afar. And before he came near to them, they conspired against him to kill him. And as this little story unfolds, there's three plans that they put into place, one after the other. Here's the first plan. They said to one another, here comes the dreamer. Let's, uh, let's kill him. Let's throw him into a pit. Now, the pit was probably a cistern. So they dug cisterns to hold water. This one was dry because a little bit later it said there's no water in it. So the pit was probably a cistern. So you think of a hole and like a, a big cavity underneath. Once you're in, man, you're in. Not getting out. So uh, let's throw him in a pit. And we'll lie about it. We'll say that a fierce animal has devoured him. And we'll see what becomes of his dreams. That's the first plan. Kill him, throw him in a pit. And then Reuben, the oldest, shows up in verse 21. And he puts forward plan number two. He says, yeah, you know, I kind of like that, but there's a couple details. Um, Let's not take his life, he says. Let's, let's shed no blood. As the good older brother, he says, yeah, let's throw him in the pit. <laughs> right? I mean, what could go wrong? <laughs> I mean, isn't that the, the thing you do to your little brother? Throw him in the pit, and um, we won't lay a hand on him, and maybe I'll come back and rescue him and take him to dad. So they kind of think about that for a minute. And uh, when Joseph came to his brothers, verse 23, 
get this, this is really important. They stripped him of his robe, his coat of many colors. And the word stripped in the Hebrew means to tear violently. They tore it off him. A little later, the the robe is brought to Jacob, and and he says, oh, a wild animal. Why did he say a wild animal must have gone? Because the robe was torn to pieces. They weren't fooling around. They tore the robe from him, that robe of many colors. And then uh, what happens next, verse 30, 24, they took him, they threw him in the pit. The word threw is they violently threw him in the pit. They threw him in the pit. It wasn't like, let's lower him down with a rope. They, gra- they tore the garment from him. They stripped him naked. They grabbed a hold of him, bodily. they put hands on him, and they violently threw him down, and the pit had no water in it. Great place for your little brother. Great idea. And then what did they do? What do you do when you do that? Well, you sit down and you eat. Time to eat. Let's have a meal. The irony of it all. This is one messed up family, right? So they they sit down to eat. And look, by chance, just by chance, this caravan comes. And then Judah. Judah pipes up, the other brother. And he says, let's sell him. Let's get a little cash for this. Let's get a little money. And so they decide, plan number three, uh, let's sell them. And um, verse 26, what profit is, is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let's sell him to the Ismaelites. Let not be our hand upon him, for he's our brother. He's our own flesh. What a nice group of people this is, right? I want to go hang out with them. And his brothers listened to Judah which means Judah is going to become a leader. Just notice that. He's going to become a leader. Then the Midianite traders pass by. They lift him out. They, they sell him to the Israelite, 20 shekels of silver, and off he goes to Egypt. What's the results of this mess? Grief. Grief. The last part of the chapter talks about the grief. First there's grief with the older brother Reuben, and then there's grief with the old man when he finds out. When Reuben returned to the pit, He saw that Joseph was not in the pit, tears his clothes, returned to his brothers and said, the boy is gone, and what will I do? See, what's Reuben thinking about? He's thinking about himself. What am I going to tell dad when dad gets home? What am I going to say to him? He's worried about himself. And then they took Joseph's robe, they slaughtered a goat, They dipped the robe in blood. They sent the robe of many colors and brought it to their father and said, this we have found. Please identify it, whether it's your sons or not. They can't even say brother anymore. Is this your sons? And Jacob is fooled by a torn up robe with goat's blood. He's fooled by it. Who was Jacob? He fooled his father with some goat skin on his hands, didn't he? It's going to come up again. These garments are going to come up again and again in this section. So he's fooled. He identified it. It's my sons. A fierce animal has devoured him. Joseph is without doubt torn in pieces. They don't even tell him. They let, jo- they let Jacob come to the conclusion. And he does. He comes to that conclusion. As far as he knows what? 
Joseph is dead. You get that? He's dead in his father's eyes. All his sons and his daughters rose up. Oh, verse 34, he tore, he tore his garments. He puts on sackcloth. He, sackcloth. he mourns for many days, and nobody can comfort him. And he says, I'm going to go down to Sheol in my mourning. I'm going to go to my death mourning. I'm never going to get over this, is what he's saying. Right? I'm never going to get over I'm going to go to my grave. And then the last verse of our chapter. Man, I love this verse in the ESV. Meanwhile, it says. <laughs> Meanwhile. Do you get that? It's like... How many TV shows or movies have you watched where meanwhile, something is going on behind the scenes. Meanwhile, the Midianites sold him in, in Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard. Something is up. There's something going on behind the scenes because meanwhile, Joseph is taken into Egypt. And that's how the chapter ends. I do have notes. I haven't looked at them for a while. Okay. We, at this point in the story, we don't know yet. The author hasn't, t- hasn't told us, but God's providence is being worked out. God is taking this smug, arrogant, tattletale liar and using suffering to transform him. So Genesis 38, Judah will be fooled by a false garment. It will come up again. Yet he will be transformed by the shame that it brings. So Joseph's story uh, resumes in chapter 39. We have him in Egypt, uh, Potiphar. And there's that story of Potiphar's wife. Sexual temptation, right? And when we get to that, we'll see that that's the first time in this section that the name of God appears. First time. It says, uh, when Joseph is tempted, um, he says, how can I do this great wickedness? How can I sin against God? What's he doing? Let me tell you what he's doing. With sexual temptation, we think... We're going to be hard. We're going to be strong. We're going to reach down within ourselves, and we're going to resist it. Yeah, yeah, good luck with that. Joseph knows that it has to come from outside. The strength that he has to get to resist it has to come from God himself. And that's why God comes up there. But I think you're doing that chapter. Sorry. You'll get to that, yeah? Okay. So Joseph, um, Joseph, what is this story about? Why is it the longest story? What is it about? Why is book 10 the longest? What is it that God wants us to see? What does he want to take away for for, for the Israelites, but really for us in 2024? What does he want for us? And I know this is just the beginning. Now, I want to give you four things, four takeaways. Um, Takeaway number one. God's providence is used to fulfill the promises. You see, what's happening, as this story unfolds, you see all of God's promises are at risk. The family is a disaster. Joseph is dragged off to Egypt. They're at war with each other. They hate each other. 
How are God's promises, the ones he gave to Abraham, going to be fulfilled? They're all at risk. You see, there's a tension there. But what this section is teaching us is that through God's providence, God's working behind the scenes, in the details and circumstances of life, he is going to bring out his will. Do you remember when Joseph went to find his brothers in Shechem? All of that stuff just happened by chance. He just happened. So he's walking around, and he happens to come across this nameless man. Where's my brothers? What are you doing here? Where's my brothers? Well, I just happened to overhear a conversation, and they happened to say they went to Dothan. Oh, my word. That's no chance. That's God's providence working out in the details and circumstances of life to accomplish God's will. And so Joseph had to get to Egypt to be the savior of the world. And God got him there. And we don't see it till afterwards. Right now, we don't know. We don't know what's going to happen. It's all a disaster. So God's providence works to fulfill all his promises. There's a promise of seed. That gets worked out in this section. There's a promise of land. That gets worked out in this section. There's a promise of blessing to the nations. You know what happens with Joseph? He not only saves his people, he saves Egypt and all the surrounding nations from a famine through his wisdom and governance. He's a blessing to the nations. It all works out. And then, of course, the story of the king. How's that going to work out? Well, you already know, chapter 38, the, 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 the story of Judah. From him will come through that line, through that sinful situation, will come King Jesus. Amazing. Amazing. So God is working. But what about us today? What do we do with providence? Is it still working? How do we approach it? What do we think of it? So let me answer that for a second, if I will. God today continues to work his providence in every aspect of our life. The details, the circumstances, the relationships, the chance encounters, God is still working that way. It still is happening. But I warn you, don't let that be the controlling thing in your life. It's only really when you look back that you see it was God's hand. At the time, you really don't know. You run into somebody at the grocery store. All of a sudden, you have a relationship with them. All of a sudden, something happens. And you say, oh, God was in that. Here's the way to look at providence. God doesn't do anything by chance. Every circumstance, every relationship, God is in. But we won't know probably till later how it works and what he was doing. So you're driving down Route 7, you look up, an eagle flies over, and it's like, yes, an eagle, I should take that job because their symbol is an eagle, and that means that. You know what? Maybe, or maybe it's just an eagle flying by. Come on. <laughs> Don't. So what do we do today? We know, we are aware that God is working. We are aware that things don't happen by chance, but we have something so much more than these poor guys had. What do we have? Three things. We have the word of God, the full word of God. We know the beginning from the end, the end from the beginning. We know what delights God. We know what pleases God. We know, we know everything. We have the word of God. That should be number one in how to determine your life. Number two, we have the Holy Spirit within us 
to guide us into all truth, to teach us things of Jesus, to help us with our decisions. And what do we have? Three. We have the body of Christ. We have each other. We have each other. I cannot tell you how important it is when you have decisions to make to bounce it off your Christian brothers and sisters, to get their input, to ask them, what do you think this means? What do you think God is trying to to, to teach me by this? I'm going through this. Help me understand it. That's one of the reasons why community groups are so important at New King. Yeah, it's great to hear a sermon. It's great to sing. All that is really foundational and really important. But to get together, to know each other deeper, to help each other with life's decisions, that's a gift of God, our brothers and sisters. We have the word, we have the spirit, we have the, we have the, the body of Christ to help us. Okay, number one. That was number one. God's providence fulfills his promises. Number two. People miss this too. When you read this, this, this section, we're so focused on Joseph and his rise to power and all the details, we forget that the main storyline is that God reconciles a broken family. As you read through this, you will see that God transforms and reconciles a broken family family. As we read through this, again, we don't read through this and say, yeah, I'm going to be like this guy. I'm going to be like that guy. All of it is appalling. And that's the point. That is the point. When you read some of these Old Testament stories, it's like, why on earth is that in there? Why do I have to subject myself to this sin and hatred and violence? Because that's where God is working. Yeah? God is deeply involved with sinful, misbehaving, appalling people. One of, the, one of the guys I read titled chapter 37 and 38, Men Behaving Badly. Oh, yeah. God is working. Forgiveness happens as we go through this relationships are restored, family dynamics are transformed, there's hard confrontations, but in the end, there's reconciliation. This is who God is. And that gives us hope for you and I today. We all come one way or another from broken, dysfunctional families. And I want to give you hope that God is still at work. You may not see it. It may be awful. It may be hard. But every detail of your lives, God is working in. I can't tell you how many conversations I've had in the last two years where older people in particular come to me with regrets. And they weep on my arm about I wish I had done this, particularly with their children who haven't gone on for the Lord. I want to give you hope. This is who God is. He is still working. He hasn't given up. He is faithful. Day by day, have hope in God because he is working and he can restore. He can reconcile. He can transform families because that's who he is. That's point two. God transforms broken families. Point three. 
This is kind of an interesting one. I hope you like it. God uses, what we see in this is God uses the wickedness and the sinfulness of men to bless the nations. God uses the wickedness and the sinfulness of men to bless the nations. What am I talking about? It doesn't seem like that's what God would do. But that's what we're seeing here. Through the wicked, violent betrayal of Joseph's brothers, God got him to Egypt so he could bless the nations and be their savior. Chapter 38, we'll see next week when Ben speaks. Through the utter immorality and sinfulness of Judah, God will bring forth a king. And we'll see this played out in Exodus through Pharaoh. We'll see it played out under the captivity when God sends Nebuchadnezzar in to destroy Jerusalem and carry people off as captives. We'll see it in the New Testament with Pilate and especially with Herod. A sinful, horrible, bloodthirsty, violent man who's jealous of everybody else. And through that, through those actions, the nations will be blessed. That's unbelievable. But that's how these stories play out. You've got to see it. That's how it happens. But what about us today in 2024? Last Sunday, I I mentioned during communion, communion, I talked about John 20 and about Jesus coming and the doors were locked and people were afraid and Jesus says, peace be with you. And I talked about how some of us are afraid of what 2024 might bring. And I had several people talk to me after because that, they said, you're right. And so you know at New King, we don't, we don't talk about politics ever, if at all. But I know that you're afraid. I don't care what side you're on. The other guy's the Antichrist, right? I don't care what side you're on. If, if person A gets to be in office, it's going to be the end of the world. It's going to be Armageddon. And we can't help it. We're afraid. I want to tell you this morning that it's God that's in control. That it's God that raises up Jesus, whoever we get. And you and I, look around us. God has chosen for this moment. We are alive today in 2024. For a purpose. He didn't do this at random. We just didn't happen to be born today. Right? God has chosen us for this day. For this moment. For this year. Don't be discouraged. Don't be fearful. You are created for this day. Whatever happens, God is in control. And he is bringing about his will through whatever leader he chooses, through whatever mess we have to go through. You're chosen for that. You have a role. And what is our role? To bring Jesus, to bring the kingdom, to bring a savior, to bring a sense of peace to people that, yeah, I know it's a mess, 
But there's more to it. God is working behind the scenes, and he is going to bring his king to power eventually. And we have nothing to fear. Peace. You're created for this day. Don't be afraid. Last thing. And you know what's coming last, right? I think you do. Who does this point to? So, so you kill the dreamer and you fulfill the dream. Remember what the brothers said. There goes that dreamer. We'll see what happens to his dreams. Let's kill him. You kill the dreamer and you fulfill the dream. So what's happened with all this? You know who it points to. There's a greater Joseph, isn't there? There was one that was sent by his fathers, by his father to his brothers, and his brothers hated him. He was sent unto his own people, John says in chapter 1, and his own didn't receive him. Isaiah 53 says he was despised and rejected. He was despised and we esteemed him not. John 15, Jesus quotes the Old Testament and he says, they hated me without a cause. And he was sold by a handful of silver by one of his disciples. And they stripped him naked, didn't they? You can read about it in Matthew's Gospel or Luke. They stripped him and they put a crown of thorns and they mocked him. And they spit upon him. And they put a blindfold on him and they punched him in the face and they said, prophesy. You dreamer, you think you can dream? Who hit you? And they threw him in a pit. Now, when you read this story and you go through it, a couple of times the brothers recount what happens. And in one of them, they say that Joseph cried out again and again. He pleaded. He cried. It doesn't say it in 37, but it says it later, right? And he cried. It's so interesting to read through the Psalms. The Psalms bring out the emotions and character of God in a way like nothing else. And several of them bring out the suffering of the cross. Let me just read a portion of one. It's, uh, it's, I'm going to choose Psalm 88. O Lord, God of my salvation, it starts out. I cry out day and night before you. My soul is full of troubles. My life draws near to Sheol, near to death. I'm counted among those who go down to the pit. I'm a man who has no strength, like one let loose among the dead, like the slain that lie in the grave, like those whom you remember no more. They are cut off from your hand. You have put me in the depths of the pit, it says. 
in the regions dark and deep. And your wrath lies heavy upon me. And you overwhelm me with your waves. And we today know that when Jesus suffered on the cross, yes, he suffered, suffered physically. Yes, it was one of the most cruel and inhumane and painful deaths of all. But it was the wrath of God that was upon him. That was the suffering that was worse. He endured wave after wave of judgment on the cross so that he could become the savior of the world. You see, we have a better Joseph. And his father mourned for him as if he were dead, and he was to him. For Jacob, his long-dead son, all of a sudden, in the middle of this section, in the middle of book 10, he's found out to be miraculously alive. And he gives life to the family, life to Israel, and life to the world. And for you and I, meanwhile, on the third day, the stone was rolled, and Jesus became alive. And he's not at Pharaoh's right hand as king. He's at God's right hand. And we today, by the eye of faith, see Jesus, our king, crowned with glory and honor at God's right hand. That's who we serve, is King Jesus. And now we see more clearly than ever that God works his divine and perfect will through the very details of life, through the wickedness of sinful men, through suffering to achieve total recognition, reconciliation, and to bless the nations. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this story of old, the story of Joseph. Father, help us to see that you are in control. You are working all things together. And that we can rest in that, that we can have peace in that, and that we have a king that is greater than all kings, Jesus. We see him crowned with glory and honor. Thank you, Father, for these verses. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We pray in your name. Amen.